0: Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your Week in IndyCar guest episode. Who do we have? going to get our man Devlin DeFrancesco on the line here in just a moment. It would make three straight weeks. Young drivers who have graduated from Indy Lights, the Cooper Tires, presented by Cooper Tires, Indy Lights series. Three drivers in a row in the podcast here, three weeks in a row. Those who have moved up from the 2021 Indy Lights series their championship runs to indycar so we started off with our man kyle kirkwood last week we had david malukas kyle just being confirmed as aj Foyt racing's newest driver in the number 14 chevy the legendary number 14 our pal david malukas and if you haven't listened to that episode that kid was on fire seriously it was so much fun waiting for the formal confirmation of him driving at Dale Coyne Racing, but it's not a question, y'all. It's been a done deal for a little while. Uh, and now we have our man, Devlin DeFrancesco. be driving the number 29 Honda at Andretti Autosport. Got to know Devlin, got to meet him for the first time a couple years ago. I admittedly don't remember what year, but it was at the Rolex 24 at Daytona and just thought he was the sweetest kid. Uh, obviously, very talented, Big eagerness to learn and grow. That's what I'm looking forward to for him in 2022 and beyond. Seeing some folks say some not very kind things about him. And it's like, really? Truly, this kid is starting out in life. But hey, let's crap all over him before he's done his first lap in an official practice session in IndyCar. I figured, you know what? He's a great kid. He has so much to learn. He's going to show us how good he is, uh, and he will set that bar. No matter what anyone else wants to say, whether he will or won't make it in IndyCar, he's going to tell us. So figured why not get to know him a little bit, let him tell y'all a little bit more about his life, his approach, and whatnot. Episode I don't think is going to run super long. So as a result, little change to the format here. Once we're done with our interview, I'm going to roll in some of your listener Q&A items that I didn't get to from what I just posted here, recorded Tuesday night, and I think finally woke up and went live Wednesday morning. There's some fun questions, not a ton, but some that I really wish that I had time to get to in that episode. So I'm going to roll to those once I'm done with Devlin, and then I'll post this, and hopefully you all will enjoy, laugh. Uh, throw things at your phone if you don't like it or however you might consume the podcast and uh, keep it moving until next week. So let's say a big thanks to Cooper Tires as always, the Justice Brothers and TorontoMotorsports.com and let's get rolling here with the Week in IndyCar with our guest in Dreddy Autosports, Devlin DeFrancesco. Devlin DeFrancesco, when I met you for the first time years ago, you were already on that junior open wheel education train training in europe training in high speed high powered lmp2 prototypes you were really focused on i want to gather a lot of knowledge not just focused in one area but try and build it in a variety of ways gain as much knowledge as i could come back here to the u.s road to indy runner-up last year in indy pro 2000 good season of learning in indy lights and now knowing that you've been working for a while, dreaming for a while, you and your dad really having that aim set on Formula One. Hey, look who's going to be a rookie IndyCar driver. I think I just said Formula One, but I meant IndyCar. Um, Hey, you've had this dream of IndyCar, and it's going to be yours starting next year, rookie campaign. You've been on this road for a while, but tell me what it's been like with it becoming final formalized, made public, folks knowing that indeed you're going to be in that number 29 Andretti Autosport Honda starting in 2022.
1: First of all, hi, Marshall. Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. I'm super excited. And these, these last uh, these last week, I guess you could say, with the announcement going out, it's really been uh, the realization of a dream come true, dream come true, and to be with with um, with such a great team, such a big name. You know, Andretti Steinbrenner Autosport Ray, in in the NTT IndyCar Series. It's a uh, it's a real humbling um, humbling occasion, and I'm uh, I'm super excited to um, step up next year and uh, show everybody what we can do in the number twenty number twenty nine uh, Andretti Steinbrenner Power Top Honda.
0: So knowing that you have this new challenge in front of you. How does this change your life? Is this, uh, you're going to be adding an apartment in Indy or whatever to be close to the, the team? Are you doing new and different forms of physical training, simulator stuff? Like It's one thing to get ready for a season on whatever level of the road to Indy. Totally different animal to get ready for the big series, the big show. What are you changing in your preparation to get ready for this rookie campaign?
1: Well, one of the one of the elements I think uh, that I've had covered quite well is the is the fitness side with my trainer um, Matthew um, at a gym called Boxer Studios in Miami. Um, because when I jumped in the IndyCar for the first test, everyone was sort of telling me how heavy it was going to be, and uh, and don't get me wrong, it was it was heavy, but um, that was never an element through either of the two tests at Sebring or at Barber. So from that side of it, there's a huge heavy training regime of mine over the winter, two gym sessions a day, strength and conditioning, and about three days of week karting. Uh, and then a ton of simulator work at night at home on my uh, AIS simulator at home. Uh, so regarding the fitness side, those uh, that is what uh, the regimen over the winter alongside with a couple of karting races Stay fit in competition, and to stay competitive over the winter and be competing, and uh, also looking for uh, an apartment in Indy to be, you know, close to the Andretti shop, to be close to all my guys, and um, you know, to create that relationship with them. And you know, the whole team is uh, is coming together toward for next year, and uh, all that's being organized now uh, by Michael and and Rob and everybody. And uh, I just can't wait for everything to get started. I really am, uh, I really am excited.
0: Before I get into the couple of questions for you here, I do love your story, and I'm guessing some folks know it, but to think of where you are today, getting ready to become a full-time IndyCar driver, compared to where you were many years ago, born 15 weeks premature, wasn't it Devlin? Um, yes weighed one pound at birth uh your life was by no means guaranteed i believe read about uh catholic priests giving you your last rites in the uh yes in in the hospital and such it's not like again this is a, a secret story of yours but i know you and your family have always been appreciative of the fact that you had to come into the world as a little fighter And I think that's a reason I've always taken a shining to you because that fighting, young, spirited approach, I mean, that's been with you since truly the second you were born. You share with folks what that's been like. I know you don't remember it, obviously, being one minute old, but that has been part of your story, right? Tell folks about that and how that has influenced or, or shaped who you are.
1: Yeah, so definitely I'm, uh, I'm lucky to be around, I guess you could say, um, I def life, uh, starting out wasn't easy because I wasn't supposed to be around, uh, the, the priest, the family priest came and, uh, gave me my last rites and, uh, I was supposed to have cerebral palsy and, uh, a ton of health issues. And, uh, for whatever reason we were able to, I was able to fight back and, um, and overcome uh, insurmountable odds and uh, you know I'm one of the lucky guys that gets to live his dream every day and uh, starting uh, starting a great great career in the uh, in the NTT IndyCar series
0: I want to go to our pal Zach Eckler who says Devlin how excited are you to be able to play with all the new tools in your new toy? He also says congratulations <laughs> and really looking forward to seeing how you do in the upcoming year. Maybe a great place to start here, Devlin, knowing that while the Delara IL-15 AER Cooper-tired uh, Indy Lights car is fast and awesome and high-tech, there are indeed new toys. As the steering wheel in your number 29 Andretti Steinbrenner Honda, you could probably spend a month trying to figure out all the cool bells and whistles there, but (laughs) tell folks about that because there's more things you can change on the car setup wise. There's obviously more arrow bits and fun. I mean, tell folks about all the things you're having to learn about and add to your, uh, engineering arsenal and understanding when talking about setup and, uh, tuning the car to your needs.
1: So from that side of it, um, Obviously, we have more tools in the car, weight jacker. Um, and with the Firestone tire, the, it generates grip, I'd say, in different places than the Cooper. So there's things that – I'd say it's overall more forgiving than, than the Cooper. So there's things you can do and get away with in your driving in the, in the NTT IndyCar rather than the Indy Lights car. Um, to be able to play with the weight jacker and uh, – obviously we could change the roll bars as well. in the in the Indy lights car, but in the Indy car, there's, there's more things you can do and they have more adjustability not only on the, uh, on the balance uh, on the mechanical side, but also with, uh, on the engine side as well with, um, with Honda, there's plenty of things that, uh, the team can, can do and adapt and change to my needs. And, uh, it really was, it was not only eye-opening in a good way, but uh, it was. Uh, it, I took to it quite quickly, I'd say.
0: Also, get prepared for more downtime during tests with changes to the differential. And uh, again, I'm not saying you'd be unfamiliar with these and some of the other series you've competed in. But yeah, there, there's yeah. a lot of refinements that can be made when you get to IndyCar where... Maybe in another series, like you mentioned, Indy Lights, uh, tires maybe not being as forgiving to mistakes or driving over the edge. You go, okay, cool. This has taught me well to move upwards. Now I get to get into some of the minutia as well and see how I can extract the most from the car there. Uh, Jameen Tuttle follows up and says, Devlin, was there any consideration for maybe doing another year of Indy Lights? Says it feels like next year could have been a breakout multi-win season for you. Um also, was curious. Did you know or kind of have a plan to do one year of lights uh, all along, or was year two and lights ever a consideration?
1: Well, regarding to, to your last question before before I answer this, um, what I mainly found with the IndyCar as well, I'd say, is there's much more small increments that they could change rather than than the Indy Lights car. So they were able to make much smaller steps for for most changes compared to the IL fifteen. Sure. So that that was uh, that's something I realized quite quickly. Uh, so the fine tunability I'd say, is uh, is much greater in the in the IndyCar, than the Indy Lights car. So regarding your last question, no, the plan was to was to always make that step up to uh, to IndyCar with uh, with Andretti Steinbrenner. Um, so the plan was to to go ahead quite quite early on. Um, and it's nice to see uh, everything coming together now, and uh, it was nice to see how good uh, those first two tests two tests went as well.:
0: We come back to the engineering side, Devlin. So some drivers are obsessive when it comes to chassis setup, not only refining the car to make it perfect to their liking, but also wanting to know every single little thing, every change made to the car. Keep notes, encyclopedic notes, refer to them, uh, treat it like homework, etc. And there's some other drivers who, when they uh, climb in their rental car or whatever it is at the end of the day to go back to their hotel, leave that behind. Where do you, or, you know, I know some, if not many, also go back and look at data on their laptop or whatever. Where do you fall in that range? Are you the super obsessive type? Or are you somewhere in the middle? What do you think your uh, your rookie IndyCar season is going to be in terms of diving full into the tech side? So I definitely dive in quite quite deep, quite deep into all, all the information, especially uh,
1: those first two tests, because time in the car is so limited. Um, I had Ray Ray Goslin uh, Ryan hunter Ray's engineer for for those first two tests. So very very switched on guy, very intelligent guy, and uh, he was able to get me up to speed uh, very quickly. And I have my own little notebook that I keep everything, lists of changes that we made through the day, what those changes did, how big of a step those changes were out of five, and where in the corner that I felt those changes mainly. So I'd say uh, I'm, I could be in the middle. There are some things that the, that I'm quite obsessive about, and there's other things that uh, that I just uh, I don't really seem to to worry about.
0: Ten four. Let's go to our pal Mitsuki Matsura who says devlin could you please confirm that your new 750 horsepower girlfriend will be painted bright yellow and fluorescent orange um also <laughs> says could we see your driving position again uh paint on the side of the car like we could in your indie pro 2000 livery that was creative and cool i mean that's i gotta say man uh your livery the last two years with as bensuki mentions uh the the fluorescent goodies awesome amazing what are the odds i'm not asking you to confirm anything you shouldn't but what are the odds we might get something similar if not almost identical in your indycar hot rod
1: i just say to be confirmed that's (laughs) the only thing i can answer right now
0: uh i'll call michael and and george if need be and lean on them if if i have to i'm just saying
1: if you need if you need, you can call them. But, All right. but for me, from my side, it's it's to be confirmed.
0: All right, well, just saying, it's going to become an instant fan favorite if uh, you get it to carry nice. over that livery. So
1: it, it will be nice. Okay, the the livery will be uh, will be uh, an eye opener. That's that's for sure.
0: All right, well, that makes me super happy. I want to go to uh, another pal of ours, Elaine Sinclair. She always sends in great stuff. Uh, she says, hoping to make up, uh, or, or she's referring to. Uh, David Malukas, who was on the show last week, who admitted that he just has no idea about food in his native Chicago or cuisine or anything. So she's asking Devlin, since David was such a failure last week, which was funny. <laughs> do you have any recommendations for say uh, good places to eat, whether it's, you know, hometown for you back in, uh, back in Canada, any of the tracks we're going to be visiting, you'll be visiting next season. Uh, Are there any like must visit restaurants on the schedule, favorite Italian restaurants? So she is looking for some good insights from you. And I know, you know, you and your, you and your family, you got to know the good eats.
1: (laughs) I, I think I answered her question on, on Twitter. She sent me a tweet. Yes. uh, And I, I, and I did answer. So in road America, where we, where we stayed, there was an amazing Italian restaurant across the hotel and the, owner of the restaurant was named lino i think it's called lino's it was unbelievable we ended up eating there every night at elkhart every night night really nice guy from napoli if you're going to Road america i highly recommend you have to eat at lino's
0: i love it i love it i love it well why don't we close on this devlin two two things one let's talk about family Mm -hmm. You've always been a real family person. Mm -hmm. And obviously, everybody has a family. Most people have families. But not every driver um, goes on this journey, and you say, yes, mom's always there, dad's always there, whomever it might be. For some drivers, it's more of a solo journey. Uh, You, on the other hand, boy, uh, it seems like there's never one DeFrancesco Francesco on pit lane. There's two minimum, <laughs> maybe even more. But tell me about that, man, because I I think your your proud Canadian Italian history probably feeds into this as well. But tell me about that because I know it's a big part of who you are.
1: No, hundred uh, percent. You know, Christmas in uh, in two thousand and six. Uh, my my dad actually went behind my mom's back. And bought two go-karts, one for me and one for my brother. Mm. And that—that's how the—that's how the whole racing uh, journey, you could say, started. So, and from you know, my family have made incredible sacrifices to, for me to be able to follow this dream. Not only financially, with uh, coming up through the ranks and and things like that, but traveling, leaving home very, very from a very very young age. Uh, my sisters my brother not not seeing them growing up and uh, missing a lot of family uh, vacations and traveling over Christmas and one year and and things like that so a huge sacrifice from uh, from my whole family to to be able to to make it here so um, they've they've been uh, they've definitely been a huge part of this journey and I wouldn't be here uh, without them and I'm grateful to have uh, all of their support whether it's at a race or a test or whether it's at a small go-kart race in Las Vegas last week that my brother came to, or it's, uh, soon to, soon, uh, the NTT IndyCar series race in, uh, in St. Pete, uh, coming up in, in February.
0: Let's uh, close the show here. Devlin talking about next steps. So obviously you've gotten in two IndyCar test days. Are you going to be able to get out again before the end of the year? Are we looking to early 2022? What's, what's the next couple of steps and stages for you as we do prepare to go green towards the end of February at St. Pete?
1: I think our next test is, uh, is the official test in, in Sebring and, uh, and then it's on to, uh, onto the Grump, uh, Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg, I think, uh, I think is the name. So, uh, we have one more day at the at the start of next year, and uh, it'll be time to get after it at the, at St. Pete.
0: I think your uh, I think your simulator at home might be in need for a fifty thousand mile uh, oil change and top up, because you're probably going to be wearing that thing out between now and 50. Uh, in your debut. 50s
1: light, 50s light. It'll be more like a hundred thousand over the winter
0: at all tracks. Good old squeaky pedals, De Francesco. here. You're going to be wearing that thing out, but uh, uh, that's good <laughs> stuff. Happy for you, man. Glad that this mission you've been on uh, has reached the, not the conclusion, but has reached the starting line you've been aiming for the whole time. And I hope that IndyCar fans spend more time to get to know you and uh, cheer you on. As you and uh, Malukas, who were still waiting for coin to confirm whatever, but we know that's where he's going to be. Our boy Kirkwood yeah. just got confirmed at Foyt. I don't know if we're going to have any no, it's other. Super
1: nice, super, super nice to see him him get a seat. Right, you know, he he had a he had a great year in in, in lights.
0: Um, fun rookie year coming really nice up. Fun be- rookie year coming it's up.
1: Gonna, it's going to be a fun rookie of the year coming up. You know, there's some great guys coming over from Europe. You know, uh, nice to see him over in the U.S. We—it's funny because we talked about that for a long time for many years. Really? When when I saw the whole F1 deal going on and how that was being orchestrated and just in general coming up through, and I just would always speak to him about it and go, "What do you think about IndyCar? I thought IndyCar was the coolest racing in the world. Honestly, growing up, I'd watch all the races." So we'd always talk about it, and and now that it's it's become a reality, is uh, it's almost like, hey, that was pretty cool.
0: Christian Lundgaard too. He'll be uh, he'll be a rookie. We've got uh, we got a bunch of good, 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 percent no, young stars coming it's into the be, series. It's gonna be
1: it's gonna be a knife fight next year, and uh, and me and the Andretti Steinbrenner crew and the twenty nine car are ready for it. Listen to that,
0: and he's selling to close. I love it. Devlin, yeah. thanks for taking some time, brother. Coming right out of a dentist appointment with your mouth all numbed up. You're you're a gamer. <laughs> I knew that beforehand. Other folks didn't. I was trying to get you to take more of your pain pills, so this would be a really loopy, like, whoa kind of uh, interview, but all right, fair enough. Thanks again, man. Congratulations, and we'll look forward to speaking soon.
1: Thank you, Marshall.
0: Thanks again to Devlin for joining us for the episode Thanks as always to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers in TorontoMotorsports.com for supporting us. So let's do as I mentioned in the open and get through some of the good Q&A items I was unable to answer in our listener Q&A episode this week. So cover off the show here with where do we go, where do we go, where do we go, I would say we're going to start with Greg Fetchik who says, Marshall, how much downforce did a 1970s indycar have versus a modern car? i wish i could answer your question greg because there's no such thing as a quote 70s car." we had vehicles with high downforce low downforce big wings small wings uh we had all kinds of versions so really hard to answer because it's a broad decade with a lot of different Aerodynamic, mechanical construction, chassis construction, technology that came on board. So yeah, hard to answer because there's no one '70s Indy car. Uh, let's see, Jordan Darwin what was best. Coulda, shoulda, woulda been team Penske in 2000, Greg Moore and Gilles Ferrin, and dreddy in 2012 with Dan Weldon, Hinch, Ron Hunter and Marco. Or maybe Air McLaren SP with Wickens and O'Ward. Oh, boy. I got to go with either the first or the last option you posed here, Jordan. The, the fantasy is Greg Moore in a Penske car to see what he could do in the best team. What became the best team. Wasn't the best team when he joined, but was soon to become the best team. My heart goes with Robbie and Pato because I think that would be a devastatingly effective combination right now. Also think of where the team would be, how far they would be on the engineering and development side if Pato had Robbie uh, joining him in that voyage. I think that would be pretty amazing, but we've seen Robbie at least for most of a season and got a feel for what that was uh obviously greg had numerous years in cart but we never saw him in the best opportunity so i'm gonna have to go with greg and jill um wow yeah it's imagining how much could have been done there uh that's the the sadness there's sadness attached to robert as well and all that we did not see continue there. But it just feels like Greg showed us that championships and more were going to be a part of his, uh, his new future. Let's go to Jake Sullivan next. He says, what are the chances Penske goes back to four cars in 2023 with new free agents Rossi available after next year? Or is it three cars for the foreseeable future with the new Porsche program? Gotta believe, Jake, it's going to be three. That Porsche deal is serious, time consuming, personnel consuming, everything consuming. So, yeah, unless they land some giant sponsor (laughs) that I can't think of at the moment, at least, that says we must be in a fourth Penske IndyCar, and there's tons of people waiting to staff it that would not draw from any other areas uh, and and reduce their efficiency, uh, I would say I think we're just going to be staring at three for the near future question though about rossi could when maybe might who when how yeah um that's a big one i haven't written about the next kind of future future silly season but he is certainly one that is if all goes well in 2022 going to be the top free agent i do believe scrolling through to find Which other ones we're going to grab? And by we, I mean me, and I don't know why I said we. Uh, Rupert Giles. This is another off-season car fitting question. How is a seat made and fitted? I can't imagine there's a huge pile of different seats that a driver tries one at a time until they're comfortable like a pair of shoes. Okay, I can't imagine, but that's silly. Um, Great question, Rupert. So the somewhat age-old practice... Of a driver getting into an open wheel car it used to also happen in sports cars, um, but now the same same type of seating is used in prototypes specifically. But uh, the age old practice of a driver getting into the cockpit, um, sitting on top of a bag, and having that bag filled with something that expands or is filled up to expand around them and then turned from something that is either a liquid or or uh, whatever into something that is solid and molded around them still the practice what's changed is decades ago uh, it would be two-part foam Uh, quite oftenly bought at tap plastics or a hardware store that kind of thing and Uh, two liquid chemical agents that when mixed together um, in a fairly short amount of time, five, ten minutes, uh, you'd stir that up, pour it into what was usually a double bag like garbage bags, uh, big 55-gallon usually uh, drum liners, have the driver sit on top of that, You'll double bag it because you don't want to have a hole and then that leak out all over the car because the stuff was pretty nasty and like you can never get it off. It was like cement almost. But would pour that, uh, the two part foam that was blended and mixed up into the back of this, uh, the cockpit into that bag and would then by hand usually move it around just a little bit and have it rise up, uh, not only the driver's back but around their sides a little bit and have them hold still in the best most comfortable seating position and have them just wait and wait for that thing to harden and then that's when a little bit of uh, elbow grease was required to cut away the parts and pieces that weren't needed and then shape it a little bit sand it uh, and then cover it whether duct tape was pretty common Um, you could have a little bit of upholstery done to it if you wanted but that was the deal those things, though, being rock hard, that was replaced. I'm trying to remember, I think early 90s is when the uh the foam beads were what replaced the two part foam, and so that uh, has been the standard for a really long time. And it's really and truly using, I you know bean bags are kind of a 70s thing, 60s, 70s things, old, old thing, but. Just little small uh, foam, I guess balls, pellets, whatever you want to call them. Just little tiny things, um, and zillions of them poured into uh, <clears throat> poured into a thicker um, bag. That's the process these days, and there is often some form of gluish, I don't know what I should refer to it as, but uh, something that will indeed make the uh, the little beads bond and hold into place but the difference here is this is done uh, primarily using uh, vacuum by drawing a vacuum on that so you'll get that bag you will uh, hear a little pump running drawing a vacuum as it just pulls everything nice and tight pulls all those beads really lovingly shoulder to shoulder as the person making the seat is truly shaping the bag and moving it in all the right places getting all the right areas uh, of support and coverage and safety in and it's just a much nicer much much nicer final product and the other thing that goes with this too since we're talking about these little foam beads instead of this rock hard old school two-part foam there is a little bit of give to it i'm not saying it's like plushy by any means but There's just a little bit of give to it. So, in a crash, uh, there is some give that will certainly help. So, that's how it's done. Fun stuff. Uh, Let's see. Daniel Ingleton, MP, has there been. um, There seems to be an imbalance in the number of full series uh, entrants between Chevy and Honda for next year. Is there any particular reason for this? And is Honda now maxed out for 2022? They are. Absolutely, they are. I would say. The size of the big teams between the two brands is where we get the majority of our answer here. Knowing that Ganassi four car team, knowing that Andretti four car team, already got, (laughs) already have a little bit less than a third of the field covered off with two brands. You then look at expansion from Shank going from one car to two. Look at Ray Hall going from two to three, et cetera, et cetera. Um, pretty easy to see how, with the various expansions, that Honda has filled up quickly, quickly, quickly. Yes, indeed, they are full for full-time leases. So that was one of the reasons why Kyle Kirkwood did not have a seat available at Andretti Autosport. I know there was a desire to try and find a way to run him this coming season. I think the budget, full budget, could have been found, knowing that he's bringing $1.3 million for winning the Indy Lights Championship. But uh, I am told by Honda that they would have loved to. They just did not have another engine lease to offer. <clears throat> Therefore, Kyle was unable to be accommodated at the team. So, yeah, uh, I mean, the counter... Item here in terms of size of multi-car teams is also where we land with the answer for Chevy and why they aren't uh, at the same number. I mean, we're thinking 12-ish full-time for Chevy and 15-ish full-time for Honda next season. I'll I'll look back through this again. Chevy could be uh, 13 possibly, but if you look at the composition of the two, uh, two manufacturers and the teams that they partner with, lots of twos, um, what one, one, I believe, but you know, Penske's at three and that's great. Uh, but you go beyond Penske, there are no current teams that are going beyond two. I know Foyt hopes to be three. That'd be great if they were, but Foyt's two, McLaren's two. We know they intend to expand in 2023 to full-time third, but, um, again, you go a little bit deeper and ed Carpenter's at two uh it's just not uh not the same volume within some of their bigger teams in terms of entries let's go to where do we go raymond wong marshall hope things are good for you uh, with your wife's treatments thanks man uh you say how come they don't do sitcom style off-season videos like they did eight years ago i assume by they you are referring to indycar uh the videos of what Uh, The videos of what do drivers do during the off-season before the first race of the season? I don't know, Raymond. Uh, I honestly couldn't tell you about what IndyCar does or does not decide to do with its time and resources from a video or uh, media standpoint. Uh, Sam Anadiotis is asking... Uh why Pietro Fittipaldi did not run the number fifty-two at Gateway last year. He was originally supposed to run in the fifty-one car before Romain decided to uh do gateway. Um I don't know. I gotta admit, the moment that Roman said he wanted to do Gateway, I figured that Pietro was not necessarily going to be accommodated in a third car. I know that there were discussions uh about could we run three cars there and they had somewhat of a mind to do it i don't honestly know why uh was it a money thing was it an availability thing was it a i don't know and i don't want this to sound like a cop-out sam but uh, it just didn't interest me enough to try and chase down the real reason um eh, didn't happen wasn't gonna happen and knowing that pietro well i love the kid there were no indicators to me that he was going to have any kind of long-term, oval role with the team. Oh, no, man. Just didn't really stand out as anything that uh, particularly stood out as worthy of, of going and chasing. Uh, let's see. Lance Snyder, MP, uh, said to give a big hug to my wife and extra treats to the cats. Well, deal. Says, my team in the hashtag Pruday Fantasy IndyCar Championship consistently underperformed... I need a crack engineer to help lead my team to glory. Will you be that engineer? Well, <laughs> me, crack, and engineering are things that all fit together perfectly, Lance. So, yes, my dear minister of mirth, uh, I'll be your engineer. Although I don't know exactly what I'm engineering, but, hey, uh, I'll give it a shot. Uh, let's see. Kobo Copo Bay from Reddit, as me not word good read. Uh, Copo Bay from Reddit, first timer, I believe says, might the third Ed Carpenter racing entry in the Indy 500 use number 22, uh, along with the 20 and 21, since Team Penske has downsized and presumably abandoned that entry? Could. Uh, they certainly could. I don't know if they would want to or if they'd want to keep going with uh, what they have been using. Um, interesting question, I guess, to pose to Ed obviously connor last year was with the 47 there was a historical reference there tuskegee airmen and and some other stuff i know we've had the 63 in the past when there was an alignment with a uh, scuderia corsa uh that was a number they used in sports car racing so i don't know it's a it's a something that if and when i remember to ask ed i will ask ed 404 marine uh marines not found from reddit reddit screen names gotta love them uh, hello mp hope all's well Is wondering if mothballed teams say for example the chip Ganassi racing number eight entry after 2017 which was then revived for 2020 tend to rehire the same engineers and personnel or do they start completely afresh with a new crew no specific answer i can give because obviously every team doing that would handle it however they chose in this situation um do know that the sports car team uh this being the ford gt team which was often used for the indy 500 for um whatever purposes those were by and large all IndyCar people who went to sports cars and when the sports car program shut down at the end of 2019 they all came back so yeah and i'm not saying every single person that was on the uh, Ford Chip Ganassi Racing IMSA and WEC program, um, came back, say, with the 8 car here, or the 48 now with Jimmy Johnson. But um, by and large, yes, we have a lot of the same people. Uh, If we look at Brad Goldberg being a perfect example, race engineer in the IndyCar team, uh, won a race with Charlie Kimball, went and did the Ford GT program, and then came back to IndyCar when Marcus showed up. So uh, a lot of the same folks. Uh, the main thing here, and this is it's funny. You hear from some team owners who are seemingly more interested in branching out to uh, another form of racing if they have to, say, downsize their IndyCar team by an entry, or maybe even two, uh, There's a desire to go and do another form of racing at the same time, the coming years, to keep the income coming in and keep all those things going. But there's also always a mention that we really don't want to let our people go. So we've got to find something else for them to do while we look for a way to get our IndyCar team back up to uh, more entries and get them back to doing that. So I do appreciate that, that we have... in many cases, a willingness to not just do more racing for business's sake if there's a void or or a downsizing. But, man, we got to keep our people busy because having to start fresh and find all the people to do this from scratch, yeah, that's pretty hard. Uh, Let's see. Reddit, again, nutrition paste. (laughs) I love it. Uh, Is Santino Ferrucci the heel IndyCar so desperately needs? He's not. That's the thing. Uh, he could be he is disliked by enough drivers to qualify for IndyCar's heel he's just not someone who is willing to fully engage and become that heel the the ability for him to do that would be I mean uh, he has the ability it's just truly about the desire. Uh, what was it, last weekend, there was a UFC title match between uh, Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington. And the Covington guy, truly skilled as a mixed martial artist, but even more skilled as being a heel. Just making people hate him, sticking the knife in and twisting it purely to get people pissed off upside down and and you name it. If Santino were to embrace that just to be a little shit and just go all in on that, I think we'd have something here. Great potential, just not great execution. I would say, um, I would say we're going to take one or two more. Oh, we got a few. Okay, cool. um, todd hudson following on the penske theme here hey mp with penske going down to three cars next season do you expect them to enter a fourth for the new 500 uh written about that todd so i would always recommend uh visiting racer.com and keeping tabs on this kind of stuff because yes written about this uh roger has no plans to run a fourth so there you go uh aaron adams Hey, Marshall, I hear you talk on the podcast a lot about Champ Car, CART, IRL. Were these all IndyCar series or were they their own sanctioning bodies? Awesome question. Thank you, Aaron. So you mention every now and then. Not everybody who tunes in knows all the history or necessarily knows all the acronyms or who owned what or when. And since I don't want to spend every episode answering the same things or saying, those things, spelling all them out. I appreciate it when y'all send in specific questions saying, hey, dummy, could you get me up to speed a little bit here? Absolutely. So Champ Car was the successor by name and ownership to CART. Uh, CART Championship Auto Racing Team's formed first season was 1979. Uh, that followed after USAC, United States Auto Club, uh, before USAC, we had AAA. Uh, AAA, like the uh, insurance and whatever other provider you might have for your car, your, your uh, freeway towing resource, AAA, was a sanctioning body for the super, super long time. So, yeah, uh, in the three that you're referring to, CART ran from 79 through, I always forget whether it was, was it 2003 or 4? Where the name changed from Kart to Champ Car, uh, became the Champ Car World Series. Uh, there was indeed some ownership change going on with what Champ Car was. Champ Car lasted through 2008, uh, did one race in 2008 before shutting down. Uh, really, 2007 was its final. Uh, the Indy Racing League, I think, was formally announced. In 94, that was wholly owned and sanctioned by uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway slash itself, the Indy Racing League. So like CART, which was its own sanctioning body, uh, and Champ Car as well, the IRL was the same. So CART began in 79, IRL started in 96, uh, and ran through... 2005 is when the name formally changed to the IndyCar series. Um, there was, in this big IRL cart fight, uh, there was a naming, hey, we've been, uh, whatever you should, is leasing the right word? Blend, however you want to put it. Hey, this IndyCar name, we actually own that. Uh, that that's ours and we've been letting you use that leasing that to you whatever it is uh, we're taking that back and so that's where the cart indie car series and that kind of stuff went away uh, and then when champ car uh, became the more modern version of cart again, indie car was not mentioned anywhere champ car was used so yeah irl independent sanctioning along with cart slash champ car being independent sanctioning And so we had Champ Car going against the IndyCar series starting in 2005. And then when we had the, quote, merger, which was Champ Car folding rapidly uh, and the Indy Racing League slash IndyCar series uh, basically buying it in the assets and, quote, merging, that's what got us to uh, everything under our own tent. And like the IRL... Uh, the modern NTT IndyCar series is indeed sanctioned by itself. Very different from, say, Formula One or the World Endurance Championship or World Rally Championship that are in their Formula E, and we can go on and on and on, that are sanctioned by the FIA uh, in Paris, France. So big blanket global international sanctioning body there that looks after many of the biggest names that we know in terms of racing series. IndyCar, not one of them. Independently sanctioned, just like NASCAR, just like the NHRA. Thanks again, Aaron. And I do appreciate it when y'all send in like, hey dude, slow down a little bit. Uh tell me about this. So if you got those questions, uh do that. And I think I mentioned earlier in the year We would probably do, as we got towards the end of the year, some form of, uh, hey, let's ask all those basic, simple, whatever questions that they might be, um, full, free, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Just send it in, even if it's the most basic thing in the world, and let's get some of that stuff covered off. So uh, I do think once we get into December, hopefully someone will remind me as well. Uh, We'll do one of those, and maybe more questions like this. Uh, Love them. Absolutely love them. All right. Uh, Last couple here quickly. Uh, Vincent at Vincent VEM, our pal. Vincent says, any updates on Carlin, Hunkos, and Vassar Sullivan possibly getting together or joining other teams? Uh, I'll throw that into my next Silly Season update. Vincent, there are some things that I know about and I'm not quite ready to report. There are some things that I have known about for a while. I've been asked to not uh, drill into or focus on too heavily for some really good reasons, and you never want that as a reporter, but sometimes when folks say, hey, could you please help me here with this thing, and here's the reason why, you listen to it and go, absolutely understand, you're totally correct, and yes, uh, I'm going to park that for a little while. So just going to get a feel vincent where some of these items happen to be in terms of can we start talking about them can we start giving a little more focus and definitions so uh more to come uh george the fourth is a very merry offseason mp any news or gossip regarding q6 2022 prospects seems like partnership opportunities are limited at best for anything beyond the 500 big fan of Stefan wilson so fingers crossed for something uh, and then you say kind things offering nice wishes to my wife and our cats thank you george the fourth funnily enough got a text this morning from our man Stefan wilson that i need to respond to i don't have any updates but i do know that when i last spoke to don cusick we had meant to circle back probably towards the end of this month so don't have anything yet that i would say is really juicy or, or whatever if we look at the available places they might land to your point there aren't many uh probably make it easy to look at a hunkos hauling or racing with a desire to do two cars as a place might be an option beyond that (sighs) could it be a coin could it be here or there again there's not that many options as you point out but yeah hoping here shortly uh and i just haven't put the time in Uh, i've been absolutely buried with uh other work, magazine and other work that just has me not drilling into the web stuff too heavily right now, but I will. Um, do we have more? Yes, we do. We're going to close on this. Our pal Daniel Summersgill says, the hashtag Prude. that's our listener group, uh, are rewatching the 1995 IndyCar season at the moment. He asks, why did all the commentators seem to have so much difficulty pronouncing Jacques Villeneuve's name on the broadcasts? every commentator seemed to have a unique way of myrtleizing his name at every race yes and i'm glad to see you use my myrtleizing uh non-word word here because it just makes me smile think i've shared this before once or twice on the show but yes i'm with you and i've wondered this since i think 94 or 95 uh certainly 95 when he won the 8500 because that local bay area broadcast stands out as the oh boy i think it was abc local abc news affiliate uh, kgo tv san francisco and i think the guy the sports reporter is dennis something or other anyways um yeah so there's a college villanueva here in the states that is involved in all forms of college sports and so their name is mentioned quite frequently, whether it's football, basketball, whatever season. And yes, uh, I think just seeing our man's last name, understanding that the first half of the letters kind of fit this college, this university that he's familiar with, did what probably many others did did while having to read that this person won the Indy 500 and pronounce his name. Granted, Myrtleized the first name as well, which there's no excuse. Jacques, while I would say most folks would associate that with being a French name, by no means uh, something that you would not have come across in life here in America multiple times. Nonetheless, Jacques. No, we didn't get Jacques. We got Jacques. And Owing to the Villanueva thing that I mentioned, that's what we got for his last name. So we did indeed get Jaquez Villanueva. I don't know. I mean, I do know. A lot of us, a lot of my countrymen and women are pretty darn lazy when it comes to knowing anything other than uh, American English and giving much of a fart about other people's Languages, names, roots, uh, etymologies, and you name it. So nonetheless, we were given the gift of Jaquez Villanueva being read out as the winner of the Indy 500. And I th- seem to recall Daniel being just violently angry. Not, okay, not violent, but just like, Oh, how can you do that, Jesus? This guy's won the biggest race in the world, and uh, you disrespect him so much. And just in time, it's become a funny thing. Uh and I would also say uh, or should say that I have one or two friends or former work colleagues, you know, mechanics and whatever, uh named Jacques and from the moment that I saw that little local ABC news sports segment on his victory, all of their names, first names have been pronounced as Jacques has going forward. Uh and other friends of mine who are friends of the Jacques that I know also refer to them as Jacques. So that's a that's an enduring gift. So I, I thank our local KGO ABC Seven affiliate for uh, giving me that gift. And yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to say poor guy because I don't know. He's an eighty five hundred winner, uh, world champion in Formula One, uh, wealthy, a DJ, a singer. Uh, He's all and what a new NASCAR champion in Europe or whatever. So I don't know if I feel sorry for him, but uh, as someone with a last name that is not super common, but for reasons unknown, trips up a lot of people's tongues. Uh, my wife lovingly and funnily refers to me at times as Mr. Purette because there's about a 50-50 chance if we're going to an appointment or we're doing anything where someone needs to say our last name back to us, uh, we get it not as Pruitt, but Mr. Purette or Mrs. Purette. So that's weird because it's just moving letters around in the name, not like I don't know how to pronounce it. Is it Pruet? Is it Pru-it? It just, hey, we're going to shuffle words. And then let's co- go with Puret. So, anyways, uh, I do feel a little bit of Mr. Villanueva's pain. But it's not real pain. Life's okay. All right, y'all. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed this little blurb. And who knows? Time permitting, maybe if some of the questions that I don't get to in the main Q&A episode... I really do stand out as, as needing to be answered. Uh, maybe I'll try and tack those on to the guest episodes like we're doing here. Tell me if you like it. Tell me if you don't. Tell me if it's too much Q&A in one week and as always open to your input and suggestions. All right, speak to y'all next week.